The year was 1963. John Fitzgerald Kennedy was president of the United States. We were at war in Vietnam, but it wasn't the big deal that it was going to become. We had survived the Cuban Missile Crisis. The space program was well underway. And things looked rosy. And in September and October of uh, 1963, a young folk singer began recording what was to be his third album. And in October, he recorded a song that was to become an anthem for the people, the young people especially of the United States that was looking for change. And that song is, And the Times... They are a changing. And little did he know, Bob Dylan, that in November, a month later, President Kennedy would be assassinated. That event, as I look back in history, that event was a pivotal moment in the history of our country. And I think it began what was to become a huge change. 1963, five years before the summer of love. Five years before the 1968 Democratic Convention. Five years before massive protests against the war. The 60s were an amazing time. It was very difficult, and we had the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., the assassination of Malcolm X. We had the assassination of Robert Kennedy. It was a tough time, the 60s were. And yesterday I caught myself humming and singing under my breath for the times they are changing by Bob Dylan and I realized that we may very well be on the beginning of another great change in our country in 2016 we saw Donald J. Trump pretty much break the Republican Party. And we may be seeing Bernie Sanders doing the same thing, breaking the Democratic Party as we have known it. That is yet to be seen, uh, but it's very possible. And so I'm asking you to join me as I, as I journey back in time and talk about my experience with politics and my family and how I thought about politics and uh, how it's influenced my life and, um, and then see where we go.
My name is Chris Jensen, and this is my life, and welcome to it. Politics. The very mention of the word probably uh, motivated some people to stop listening just because it's a difficult topic. It's a topic that can really bring out the worst side of people. You know, unfortunately, it's one of my favorite topics. But I think... uh, I think it's important that we learn how to how to talk about politics in such a way that um, we don't take things so personally. If you might remember, in one of my earlier episodes, I talked about the Kennedy-Nixon debate. Kennedy ended up winning in 19-whatever it was when they had that debate. And uh, my parents were convinced that Joe Kennedy cheated. He was a very rich man, very rich. He was the um, patriarch of the Kennedy dynasty. And my parents were convinced that he cheated by paying to have the ballot box stuffed, as they put it so that uh, his son, JFK, would would win. That was before the day of social media, rapid information transfer. And in 1963, I was six, six years old. So I might have been five when that happened. I, I forgot to look up the date, so I don't know what it is off the top of my head. But in any event, I'm really too young to, I was really too young to uh, be politically aware, and I didn't care. But it's the type of information that as a child, you don't question, you know, at that age, uh, what your parents say and believe pretty much gets um, incorporated into the child's worldview. So that as they grow, um, they pretty much adopt the positions of their parents. Not always, but I did. Um, I remember uh, at one point looking at uh, a coffee table, there was a book. I love books. I love reading. I love learning stuff. The name of this book was None Dare Call It Conspiracy. And it's a book that was published by the John Birch Society. John Birch Society was a far-right conservative group. And one of their main tenets was that our government had been infiltrated by Soviet operatives with the express plan to overthrow our democracy. And that some uh, of our elected officials were actually 
agents of the Soviet Union. None dare call it conspiracy. Well, that's the environment that I grew up in. Uh, very right-wing, very conservative, um, somewhat conspiratorial, I guess, looking back on it. But what I experienced in the family, I always assumed was normal. I didn't really have any, a context to challenge it. Um, and the city of Avenel was very small. Uh, I think there was one family of color in the whole town. And so I really had an isolated type of upbringing. And we were far away from urban areas. And, you know, at the time, we only had three news channels, ABC, NBC, CBS. You had an hour of local news and an hour of national news. That was it. And, you know, I didn't, I wasn't paying a lot to, uh, to politics and elections and laws and all that stuff. So the next little bit that I remember, I was a little older, not, not a lot, but a little. And uh, Barry Goldwater was running for president. My dad was a Goldwater uh, supporter. Um, and I remember we went to the county fair in Hanford that year. And there was a booth that was uh, selling cans of gold water as a, you know, it was a fundraiser. And it was cute and it was clever. And I remember that stuck in my head. Um, and it wasn't until I was an adult and I started, you know, researching gold water and his positions and that I realized what he actually believed in. I mean, at the time, I, was, I didn't care. As far as I was concerned, one presidential candidate was as good as another. You just pick one, you know. It's kind of how I, I grew up in a bubble. In, uh, in 1968, uh, when all these turmoils were coming, well, let me back up a little bit. 1963, the year that President Kennedy was assassinated, I was in kindergarten, maybe first grade. No, I was in first grade. Um... I remember it happened. Um, it wasn't earth-shattering to me. My parents, of course, were not Democrats. They didn't really admire Kennedy that much. My dad knew that it was a momentous occasion, so he went out and bought one of every single newspaper he could find to save because he knew that at some point that was going to be important. Uh, unfortunately, years later, we were living in a house that had an unfinished basement and a lot of boxes were stored downstairs and they sat directly on the dirt. And I was down there one day looking around and I found a box of the newspapers and they'd been completely eaten up um, by bugs, completely destroyed, just like dust. Fell apart when I picked them up. Well, there goes that. But anyway, dad knew it was important even um, if he didn't, he wasn't grieving over Kennedy, let me put it that way. And so it really never had an impact on my life. You know, a lot of people can say they can remember exactly where they were, and no, nah, not me. So anyway, um, in 1968, we moved from Avenel down in the valley to Auburn up in the foothills, not far from Sacramento, about an hour's drive or so, maybe less. 
And uh, I went into uh, junior high. And in 1970, when I graduated from the eighth grade, that was the year of the Kent State, um, I don't even know what to call it, confrontation, where National Guard was called out and fired upon the students of Kent State and killed them. And I, I kind of remember that. But that was a hard time for me, those, those years, those junior high years, 68, 69, 70. I had a lot of personal problems right then, and I don't really remember a whole lot about it. So then I started high school, and that's when my worldview started to be challenged and shift. Um, I remember my English teacher at Pleasure High School in Auburn. His name was Jonathan London. There's that cowbell again, which means I've made a mistake. So Jonathan London is a friend of mine who works at UC Davis. Um, and I met him while I was doing my advocacy work um, for disability rights. And he's a Facebook friend. The name of my freshman English teacher was Dave London. Um, so that was a minor, minor slip. I apologize both to Jonathan and to Dave. And I now return you to our podcast. He, uh, he was very young. I think he was just right out of college. And I remember um, we would spend time listening to some albums of Bob Dylan and then looking at the actual poetry and talking about it and looking at it from a literary point of view. That was my first exposure to Bob Dylan. And things started changing from there. I remember uh, when I was a senior in high school, one of the things that, as I was turning 18, one of the things I was concerned about was the draft. Now, I honestly believe that one of the major components of uh, ending the war and the fact that so many people got turned out into the streets and it got so... Um, so violent uh, was because of the draft. I don't think, I think we see a real difference in protests, war protests these days because there's no draft. There's, you know, it's a, it's a volunteer army and people aren't taken to war against their, their will. I think that was a, a major difference. But in any event, I remember the day came when uh, someone had organized that, um, uh, all of the student body would walk out of class and walk up to the football field. Now, the football field was above the school. The school, Plesser High School, uh, was kind of built on a hill. Um, and so the, the various buildings are on different levels, and you have to walk upstairs, etc. And the football field is on a terrace above the entire high school. And so we all gathered on the football field, and made a human peace sign. One of the things about the Vietnam War was that it uh, was televised. 
a lot. Um, it was in our living rooms. I mean, the, the reporters actually went out with uh, the soldiers and saw combat, and uh, it was pretty gruesome. And it had a big impact on all of us, especially, you know, seniors in high school turning 18, registering for the draft. And as things turned out, um, the draft was discontinued right about then. And so I was no longer worried about being drafted. And I realized that I'm really not cut out for war. In my life, I've been in one fight, fist fight. I was brand new to our junior high, first first year. Um, and all these other kids had grown up with each other and this had established their pecking order, I suppose you could say, who the cool kids were, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I thought that I needed to uh, place my stake in the ground at some point and say, hey, this is me. So what I did was I picked a fight with someone that I was pretty sure um, I could win. And so we went out on the playground and squared off. And I remember the minute that he hit me, I teared up and I couldn't see. And he just beat the heck out of me. And I decided right there and then that that was not the way I wanted to settle things. And uh, so I learned a lot of how to de-escalate and how to make, and more than de-escalating de is how to make friends with everybody. It doesn't matter who they were, how to make friends. And uh, I feel I was very successful with that in high school. Um, so then I got out of high school and uh, pretty much focused on my, on my studies um, I really can't even tell you. I don't even think I paid any attention at all to the political world as to what was going on. Um, pretty oblivious to all that stuff in high school and college even. Um, my great desire was to uh, become a minister. And so after college, I was hoping to go off to Bible college. So, uh, you know, one of the things mom used to say about me she would say, and she said it more than once, she would say, Chris, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine and uh, he was talking to somebody else who is very religious, very traditionally religious, and asked the question about who, you know, who's your political candidate on the right or on the left? And the answer was, Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't vote because um, my kingdom's in heaven. Well, that's an interesting answer. Um, one of the things that I've learned being a Catholic and discovering that there's a whole body of Catholic social, social teaching. And one of the big teachings, one of the main teachings is participating in society is being a good citizen. I don't think we have the freedom to turn our backs on what's happening here and now because we have a hope of an afterlife 
some heavenly existence away from here. So we're not, so we don't care. Nah, I don't think so. Um, we have a responsibility here and now to participate and be involved. So I went a lot of years, um, eventually deciding that it didn't matter who was president, that the real controllers of the country were behind the scenes. Um, and maybe a president uh, could make small changes, little changes, but the big changes, mm-mm, pretty much the same from, from uh, administration to administration. That's how I saw it, you know, maybe a little bit naive, uninformed, but that's what I thought. Uh, Then uh, I went to work for uh, my friend, became my friend, was my boss and my mentor, and then my friend, um, Frances Grace Child. And she was aghast that I was what I considered apolitical. And so we started talking about the importance of being involved in politics and being able to see it for the first time, for me, for the first time, there's local politics. I'd never really thought much about, you know, city politics and county politics and state politics. But as I started working in the area of uh, disability rights, I got more engaged with everything on a local level, and then started looking at some of the federal federal laws around disability, and um, realized that it is important to be engaged. So, I then discovered Catholic social teaching, and it's a lot. And I pretty much gave up party politics because I realized that. There's not one platform or ideology that fits with my own. And that it was not um, honest of me to support someone unless there was some congruency with my own values. Um, And so I started learning about Catholic social teaching and what some of those values are. And it's helping me to evaluate my position on various issues and how to evaluate um, candidates. Uh, One of the questions that I've had recently is... Why Why do people get so emotional and even angry around politics when we disagree, when we don't see things the same way? And, you know, I really think it goes back to what I was saying before about growing up in a certain environment, political environment, with a certain worldview. I grew up with it. I didn't challenge it. I saw it as normal. Um, I figured everybody thought the same way. And it wasn't until much later that I began to challenge it and question it, learning that people think differently. There's another point of view. 
I think that's why we get so upset because as we grow up with it, it becomes incorporated into who we think we are. It becomes part of our identity. And if our identity is challenged, um, we become very defensive, argumentative, to a point where, you know, people have lost friends, family members, over various things. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a sad thing. But I think that's what, that's what happens. The cure for that would be to learn to be self-reflective, to be introspective, to, you know, be able to take something you believe in, that you hold dear, and examine it from various angles. To be able to hold disparate viewpoints at the same time and look at them. You know, I honestly believe that people all along the spectrum of politics, from very left to very right, they honestly believe that the positions they hold are what's good for not just them, but for the country. There may be some people that are a little bit more self-centered that only believe what's good for them, but I don't think that's the majority of people. I honestly think that people think they're making the right decisions, the right choices, and they're doing what's good for the country. I believe that. And so in talking to people, I try to keep that in mind. And to honestly listen. You know, there's a, a saying that I like to use, and that is that I always reserve the right to be wrong. Because guess what? I have an idea, I have a belief, and I think it's right. But it might not be. And so when I find... Uh, something that goes against it, if someone has a point of view that's different, I try to listen and um, I ask questions. I want, you know, I, I like to have uh, some supporting evidence as to why, you know, if you think this way, why? You know, why? What, what, what brought you to that decision? So that I can take that information in, add it to what I already know, and uh, evaluate, you know, maybe I want to modify my position. Maybe I misunderstood. Maybe I thought I understood something, but I understood it wrongly. And when it was pointed out to me the, what was actually meant, I had a different opinion of it. It's all about listening. And lately, uh, you know, there was a, debate last last night actually Tuesday and it was pretty contentious pretty outrageous and I don't know you know what is in store for this country um, I think that to survive as a united republic of states we have to find a way to coexist with our divergent views 
I read somewhere that um, various regions of this country are so different that in some respects, we're like five different countries. Well, that's pretty interesting. So if we're going to remain a United States, United Republic of States, we have to figure out a way to coexist. That's our challenge. And I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've heard people say this before. And I believe it with all my heart. The only way to do that is to listen to each other. Last night, uh, two of the candidates spoke over each other for a very long time. It was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. Neither one was listening to the other one. Not really. And I don't think we can actually f come to solutions unless we learn to do that. So that's my hope. My hope is that in time, um, we'll, we'll put other things more important besides our political point of views, the candidates we endorse. You know, one of the main things in Catholic social teaching is the common good. And for me, that's, that's right up at the top. You know, I mean, what I believe must fit into the common good. And when I talk about things with people, I want to maintain that common good so that I treat the other person with dignity and respect. But I listen to what they have to say, but I'm not afraid to question both myself and them. Um, but listening it, it comes first. Respect, dignity, listening to the other, putting the common good first. I think that's important. You know, a lot of people say, so-and-so uh, endorses so-and-so, and this group endorses so-and-so, and... -so, and these are a slate of candidates. And, you know, I really honor each person to, to examine the information that's out there and to make up their own minds. I know it's difficult sometimes, the way things are written. I don't understand this. And then we can talk about different things. But, but honestly, you know, everyone has the right to make up their own mind. You may be for candidate A, and I be for, may be for candidate B. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to be denigrating to candidate A or denigrating to you. And I don't expect it back. It happens, but I don't expect it. I expect us to respect each other's opinion and choices. So that's my hope, that as we move forward, I, I hope that... Um, this year, 2020, this election season that we're in, that uh, we don't lose sight of what we're doing. The, the decisions that we make, we want to make for the common good, for the general welfare, so that we all in this country progress, so that we all have the opportunity to actualize our potential. And we can discuss how to go about doing that. 
But if we don't talk to each other, if we don't talk to people who are different, that think different from us, it will be more difficult. You know, one time I, uh, I was looking at, you know, truth. And I sort of uh, envisioned it to be like a disco ball with all these multifaceted mirrors. And it depends on what you're looking at as to what you see. Now you evaluate it. And the more of the ball that you can uh, let in, the closer you are to getting the whole story. So I think that's important to listen. I'm going to say it again. Listen, dignity, respect. I think that's how we move forward. So this may not be my last little diatribe on on uh, politics. I've got a couple other things to say about it, but I'm not interested in convincing you to join a political party. I'm not interested in you uh, choosing a certain candidate over other candidates. It's up for you to decide. Um, we have another election in South Carolina for the Democrats. Then we have Super Tuesday following that immediately. So Saturday, then Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Super Tuesday. President Trump is pretty much running. There are some candidates running against him, but um, he's he's got that pretty tied up. I mean, he will definitely be the Republican nominee uh, for a second term. So that's pretty much settled. What's not settled is what's happening on the Democratic side. So we'll we'll see what happens there. I know it's confusing. I know it's tough. I know we take it personally. I know we don't like to be wrong. I think I know that we like to think that we know what's best. And I don't know if there's anything really wrong with that. But when we let it get in the way of our relationships, then we have to take a step back. And like the old question, is it better to be right or to have peace? Is it better to be right? or to remain in relationship? These are questions that are important for us to ask ourselves and to really do the hard work of understanding why we make the decisions that we do. So, I'll leave you with that. And uh, somewhere down the road, I'll be back with some more political stuff, but not for a while. Take care. My Life and Welcome to It is written and produced by me, Chris Jensen. Technical consultant is David Patterson of Drowning Man Productions. You can catch David on the podcast Wasting All the Time, where he, with two others, will entertain you with their improvisational comedy. Podcast art provided by Dave Edwards. You can follow Dave on Instagram at EvilDaveTM.
music for my life and welcome to it is from Happy Life by Fred G. That's capital F, capital R, capital E, capital D, capital J, capital I. Fred G. And is available on SoundCloud. More information can be found in the program notes. Thanks always to Anchor for providing free hosting. You can visit their website at anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening. May you find that which your heart is seeking. <laughs>